It is Canuck Central Tuesday edition. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar in for Dan Riccio away this week. And as always, Canuck Central is brought to you by Grip Auto and Tire. Quality service you can trust and 14 locations to serve you. And this is your destination for everything Canucks. And as always, you can check us out on the podcast. Canuck Central, always available for you on any of your favorite podcatchers. A lot to go over from yesterday. The Canucks game, the podcast post-game show is available. And also a lot of the rumors we got into around the Canucks with Frank Sierra Valley as well. But today... There's rumors around the Vancouver Canucks? There might be one or two. Well, I never. I, for one, have never heard of a rumor around the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, so uh, we are going to chat with our good friend Irfan Gafar coming up in a bit, and we'll get to the latest when it comes to the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, what a victory uh, against the Montreal Canadiens. Canucks down four, they storm back to win. And I think the biggest takeaway we had, and we talked about this on the postgame show a bit, but let's delve into it a bit more. And we are going to get to some of the trade scuttlebutt, some teams that may be interested in certain Canucks players who may be feeling some pressure or... or some immediacy to try to do something. We'll get to that coming up in a, in a few minutes in this segment, but let's start off on Elias Patterson. If you want to take away anything that you can really grasp onto and, and feel good about, despite the fact that Canucks storm back to win a game where they were down four goals, something they haven't done in almost 50 years, going back to 73 pick, but it's Elias Patterson's re-arrival to the scene again. And if there was any doubt about where Elias Patterson ranks in the NHL hierarchy of centers, I don't think the discussions people had last year at the start of the year about him maybe not being who people thought he was, I think those concerns have been fully alleviated. And, and last night, another example why. Boy, there were a lot of trade Patterson conversations that we had last year. <laughs> yes, or people people suggesting the trade Patterson. We got them often on the postgame show. And people get mad at us. We got them often. How many times do people get mad at us for saying stuff like, yeah. Patterson's going to be fine, he's going to figure it out. You know, what's, what's, your, what's the famous phrase you use? Uh... Why am I blanking out? Uh, talent is forever, form is temporary, or Ex- form is temporary, talent is forever. Exactly. Yeah. And, and we kept saying that last year and said, hey, listen, he, he deserves criticism. He's not playing at his best. And, of course, this team is going to struggle if Patterson's nowhere near his best. But he is going to get back to what he was, and he is still going to be on an upward trajectory for his career. And he he sort of shown that in the, in the tail end of last year, of course. And there were fantastic. moments in January, Sat, yes. where we sat on the postgame show and we were like, yeah, I still think he's going to hit 60 points. And it's like, Ooh, 60 points? What are you talking about? And then what did he do in the last 43 games? 51 points. It's like, man, like, star players are going to be star players are going to be star players. Yeah. It, I, it, it, it's an easy bet to make. And, and in a year where, and we'll get to the Bo Horvat stuff, where Horvat's future is obviously very much still in doubt, doesn't have a contract beyond this season. And I, I hear people wonder, and I know we had – Don Taylor on yesterday, one of the things he kind of mentioned was, does Pedersen even want to be here long term? To me, it ultimately comes down to how much money you offer a guy to and what kind of steps you take between this year and by the time you get to the end of next season. But I think what's very clear, though, is this is a guy you do everything you can Mm -hmm. to extend. And I think you've made a point that I think has for the most part, kind of fallen on deaf ears throughout the market because there's so much talk about Bo Horvat, Bo Horvat, Bo Horvat getting that contract done. There isn't a more important contract this team has to negotiate in the next six months where they can start doing that in the next six to seven months than the Elias Patterson extension because that's going to be the biggest contract on your books if you get it done. Even just the attempt to sign Elias Patterson on July 1st of this year, that is more important to this organization than actually signing Bo Horvat before March 3rd. Just the attempt to do it. 
Because this is going to be the biggest contract, as you said, that you sign in these next few years. Yeah. Your first opportunity to do it is July 1. Ideally, if you're the Vancouver Canucks, you want to get that locked in. Mm -hmm. Even if you have to pay a little bit more, just to say, hey, we got this eight-year deal locked in. Now the long-term security of our future of our franchise is in place. And now we can start to build around and shed salary cap around it. Because I think what's stunning too, Sat, is he was so good last night and has been so good this season and obviously at the tail end of last season. This is the inefficient part of this team. And Elias Pettersson is yeah. still thriving. What happens when the not just the the structure on the ice, yeah. which I know is a buzzword in the city, but what happens when the infrastructure of the entire team is built better, when it doesn't have to be him leading the charge all over the time. And that's what we've seen so far this year is he's getting these points and these goals leading the charge. Two primary assists again last night. And you just see how he influences play, how he dictates uh, a certain defensive orbit around him. Yeah. And still finds teammates to convert their chances. When the rest of the pieces are built around this team and we're, we're suddenly looking at Wow, it's well constructed, and the pieces fit a lot together. There's actual chemistry, and they're spending all this money accordingly and correctly. Then what version of Elias Pettersson do we see? That's the exciting bit. This isn't well built right now, and he's having a tremendous amount of success on the ice. Yeah, and you're right. Like We're not even seeing him at his best, and we're even close to his best, of course. And I think there's so much more that he can provide, given a better environment overall for that he can provide. And, you know, we heard... Boudreaux yesterday talk about Pedersen and say what he's providing is true leadership, the way he plays and the way he drags the team along and, and how prepared he's been and how driven he's been this entire season. I'm not sure that leadership means he's captain material. I know Raymond's mentioning that he's the next <laughs> captain. It doesn't necessarily mean that's the case, but if we talk about guys who set a standard, he's your most talented player. JT last night talked about how he was dominant, Elias Pedersen. And when he plays at that level, if guys on this team don't raise their level when somebody like Patterson plays, then the issue is not with him. The issue is with those players. Are you ever going to be inspired? You know, like, do you need Nathan McKinnon to take away your your donuts for you to, to be truly inspired? Is that what you need to, to get into gear here? Like, it, it, or... No pasta! Or or is the leading by example enough to get guys going? You know, and I think that, that's the other part of it. But I was asking you this a bit earlier because last year when Jack Eichel was going to get traded and there was all the concerns about his neck injury, but there's, you know, people saying like, Hey, Patterson's not even going to be Jack Eichel type. What separates Jack Eichel from Elias Patterson right now, as far as value goes to a team? Size. Again, that's not necessarily value to your team because the, the ultimate thing that matters is output. Yeah. I think there's some people that would say, you know, Eichel looks like more like the prototypical center. That's that, that's realistically about it. That's pretty much it. But Jack Eichel, if you look at the points so far this year, 29 points in 26 games. At least Patterson up to 32 points in 27, 26 games, so 27 games. If you look for their careers, Jack Eichel has 409 points in 435 games. Elias Patterson 253 and 271. I mean, they're essentially on the same pace. And people consider Jack Eichel to be a top 10 centerman in the league. Like, with a bullet. Yeah. I don't and think there's much separating. So that's what you have here. When Pedersen plays like this, we're talking about a guy of the same caliber as who people consider amongst the top 10 centers in the league. Now, Eichel's a bit more of a willing shooter 
it sometimes it can feel like Elias Pettersson is almost too reluctant to shoot, like he's almost embarrassed to shoot. It's yeah. like, ah, I'm going to score. I don't know if I can do this every single time. Uh, so, so I go a bit more of a willing shooter. But that's really about it. And it, it's part of the game that we want to see Pettersson become a bit more selfish and, and be a bit more demanding of mm. the puck and rifle it a lot more. It's, in, it's increased this year. Uh, he's clicked over three shots a game, which is a great development for Elias Pettersson. But look, it goes to show it's as a younger player, like, yeah, you might go through those steps to start figuring out the rest of the game. Uh, now getting to his age 24 season, a couple of years younger than Jack Eichel as well. So if Elias Pettersson starts clipping over three and a half, four shots a game, suddenly it's going to look a lot similar too. Mm-hmm. It's just how they look is just going to be a bit different. Uh, Jack Eichel, obviously, uh, a few more pounds on him than Elias Pettersson. That, that's really about it. No, it is. And, you know, Jack Eichel being a physical, like, but how much more, like somebody texted and said he has way more bite to his game. Is this significantly more bite? No, that... In Jack Eichel's game? I, I would say so. Um, but the ultimate goal is to get the puck back and... Mm-hmm. He try to generate opportunities yourself. And Pedersen gets the puck back in different ways. But they yes. both get the puck back really well in, with overall values. But you have a player of that caliber. The point I'm trying to make here is, even if you want to make the case that Eichel is a better player, you're talking about, oh, it's because he's more physical. That that would be the line that you're saying, okay, that guy's above the other guy. The, the, the bottom line of how they play defense and what the goal is for defense, they both accomplish it yes. at very good rates themselves. Uh, so that's what we're talking about. It, it's it's you're in a certain class of centers that a bunch of guys that just can't get there. Yeah. Well, and if you're looking at what Pedersen is going to get paid, and this is where it gets fascinating. Oh, it's 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 an astronomical number potentially. Yeah. And especially if he gets, let's say he hits 100 points this year, it it, it starts with a 10. Like no matter well, I, what, it starts with a 10. It starts it starts with an 11, I'd say. Yeah. At this rate, if he continues going to that rate, and just because you're seeing, I mean, you know, guys like Rupe Hintz who haven't done what Pedersen's done, even though he had you know a big goal scoring year. But if you look at their careers, how much they've produced, Pedersen's been well above what a guy like Rupe Hintz's done. He's getting 8.5, almost over eight, eight years. That's 67 million. Like you're talking, you're staring at a 75 to an 85 million dollar contract at the very least for Elias Pedersen. Yeah. So. So I think, like, to the point, and we'll get to the bow thing here in a second, and I know you've been driving this point home so much, what complicates things so much more for this team is what you're looking to pay Pedersen, potentially. And if you are signing Bo, even if you clear cap space, let's just say you do, and you sign Bo, but because of the Pedersen contract coming in, you're, you're still recommitting to this core in a massive way. Mm-hmm. And that's where it gets it gets really, really interesting, because if Bo is sitting here and talking about, hey, I'm in the Rupe Hints category... And if I get to free agency because I'm going to get 40 goals this year, I'm staring at that type of money in free agency. What does that do to the market for a player who's vastly outproducing a guy who's younger and has done way more than what Bo has done to the same age where he's going to be able to sign his contract? Like it's if we're talking about people having sticker shock over Bo's number, the Pedersen's number gonna is really going to dust that. And and guess what? You shouldn't be shook when you see a 10 or 11. Yeah. I, I was just saying 10 to prepare people for the double-digit contract of $10 million. But, yeah, like 10 would be a steal. Uh-huh. When he's also, like, he's really good defensively. And for everybody who, you know, criticizes his, his physicality or lack thereof, this year, the numbers don't lie. And even last year, we saw when he found his game was really good defensively. This year, he's taken even a bigger step up. You know, and being able to score at his rate and be good defensively, that's what an elite player is. And... That, to me, is going to be really interesting to see. Like, okay, so 
what's the number they're looking for him. Now, on the Bo Horvat stuff. Just really quickly, I'll, I'll pitch a player to you. Okay. Um, I, I don't know if the ages line up on this for when Pedersen signed is, but if if I told you the the cap hit percentage for Anze Kopitar and what it would be in today's age, right? So he signed for an eight-year, $80 million deal. Yeah. It was 14% of the cap at that time. Yeah. If you do that by today's number, that's $11.5 million. Does that sound right? That sounds about right. Like Kopitar and Pedersen... Again, d- different sizes as far as players. But same type of impact players at the time when they're going to be signing those contracts. And Kopitar, if anything, was actually producing slightly less, but he was a better defensive player, like a real... So if you're looking at it and saying, well, Kopitar was better defensively, Patterson was better offensively. So either way, you're talking about the same caliber overall, more or less value-wise. That's... I just pulled a, a contract out of nowhere there, but that sounds right. Yeah, it, it does. So if you're looking at Bo, so even if, even if you had the space... And the Canucks do. But even if the Canucks had the space, this is where I, I keep coming back to the point about Bo. Yes, they need to clear money for it to work long term. But if you truly want Bo, you sign him and make it work. The reason why it's so difficult, as long as Bo wants the big contract, and I get it. I mean, hey, if he's putting himself in that stratosphere and teams are willing to offer him over $60 million, power to you, man. Go and get your money. I don't want to pay it. Somebody else wants to. Go ahead and get your money. But if that's what we're looking at there, then... Can a team that already paid JT, you can say a premium, seven years, eight million per season for a guy who's, you know, probably a winger at that point for a lot of that contract and playing predominantly wing this season. You're you're looking at you're maxing out where you want to go with your comfort zone. Can you can you get past your comfort zone on three contracts? Because a Pedersen one, you're gonna have to do it. Whether you want to or not, because of what he means to the team, you kinda have to. On Bo, I think it's just even if you had the space to do it. It just comes down to the valuation from the team's perspective. And by the way, uh, it's stretching yourself on three forward contracts, let alone the ones that are on the blue line. Yeah. Right? So you're stretched or you're overstretched on two contracts that are on the blue line already as well. Yeah. So at some point, you just have to stop making certain commitments and also just get the valuation right of these players. And this is the one that's going to stand out the most because – he was the first one to arrive in this rebuild. Mm-hmm. The, the the first one in the post-Sidine era was Bo Horvat. So for Bo too, and I, I can be comfortable overpaying for a guy like Pedersen because I feel like he will earn that as time goes on. He's young enough and his game is is, is well-rounded enough. I don't feel the same about Bo to pay the premium. Like if, if, if you were talking about 60 million, like if you have to pay him more than JT Miller, it's a contract you're going to regret. I just, I just, I just believe you're gonna regret regret that contract because again, we were talking about signing Bo versus JT, and everybody thought signing JT would cost more than signing Bo. Mm-hmm. And even then, we said, hey, it's probably gonna be pretty similar because centers get paid a lot. But the way things are going, and I'm and I'm still not buying it. I still look at it and say, hey, I I I see Bo looking at a JT type contract seven times eight in free agency. Like I think that's what he's looking at, and I think that's what Vancouver's looking at as well. But if you're actually looking at him getting more than JT. You're never going to get a surplus value on that contract. It's just not going to happen. Okay, let me put it to you this way. And and, and this is the tried, true message, or theory f- across all sports. You're just better off slightly overpaying superstars than overpaying middle star players. Mm-hmm. Okay? If I just took the $10 million contracts across the league, there's 14 of them. Uh, and, and, and let's remove the goalies because, you know, we've had enough conversations about goaltending and all that sort of stuff. 
I'm just going to list this player, and you just tell me if it's a regret or good move by those teams to give a $10-plus million contract here, okay? Eichel. Good move. Barkov. Good move. Kopitar. Good move. Taze. Good move. Kane. Good move. Marner. Good move. Tavares? Well, yeah. Well, no. Uh, well, oh, it's a good move because he's given the production, given the overall. Like, you have to do a yeah, but on that sure, one, but you can but, still say like he's he's earning the money mostly. You're saying yeah, but that's regret. Okay, it's about a bit, bit of. A, I'll say he's the one regret. Doughty, no regret. Carlson, there. now a little bit. Sure, yeah, yes, a little bit. Matthews, no. Panarin, no. McDavid, no. So again, real simple to go through that like exercise. One or two guys you might regret. One or two, right? The point so, being, like, if, if you're an elite level talent that deserves that money, chances are you'll at least be worth the money. Let me just go through some of the guys in the $8 million range yes. now, okay? Thomas Hurdle. Regret. OEL. Regret. Brady Kachuk. Regret. Well, no, no, no. No, no that Brady, was Brady's fine. amazing. Jack yeah. Hughes. No, fine. Blake Wheeler. He was good enough the last couple of years, maybe, but for a while he was worth it, but a bit of a on the edge. But he's age 35. He's 35. You signed Bo Horvat to that contract. He's going to be 36 when a contract ends. Yakov uh, Voracek. Like, w- like, would that team like a do-over? Yes. Anyways, uh, the, the point is, and the, by the way, I'm not going to go through all $8 million contracts because there's way more, but you start going through this, and there's just way more guys in this range. Ryan Johansson, Matt Duchesne, uh Start going through this. Logan Couture, would they like a do-over on that one? You know what? And, and the thing is, you look at Logan Couture, he had the 170-plus year, and he's everything else kind of been in the, in the 60-50 range or whatever, and he got a huge contract. Braden Shen, kind of similar too. Mm-hmm. Now, um, it's less AAV, but eight years, $53 million, $53 million in total money, a big contract. But that's the range we're talking about for Bo Horvat here. The guys who have been 50-point guys, maybe 60-point guys, and then had the outlier 70-point years, they're the ones whose contracts you regret. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it from Vancouver's perspective, and I see people saying, hey, what about J- trade JT, sign, sign on to Bo? I think part of the assessment the organization made was we're more confident that JT, because he's going to be a point-per-game player, is going to be able to give us the value for that number. Whereas From with, a from a point production point of view. Yeah, whereas with Bo, he may have a huge year like he's having now, but if he reverts back to being what we've seen for the majority of his career, which is still good. Like if you're 30-goal yeah. center getting 60 points and everything, but are you an $8.5 million player? You're probably not. You're going to regret that number. So from Vancouver's perspective, this all this also goes back to, we can argue JT or Bo. You can only choose one because it's too risky to sign two of those guys to the same type of contract. And it so is you kind choose of, one and then you go all in on the Pedersen one. It's kind of funny too that, you know, in a recent interview, Rutherford kind of used the classification of JT being a uh, multi-position forward. Mm-hmm. Of like, oh, well, he's, he's going to go to wing eventually. Well, if their th- thought process is he can put up points and we have to find centers anyways, I'm just curious if they've already thought that, hey, we can place place him at wing in age 30, 31, 32, 33, and we're going to have Pedersen and we're going to get another center at some point, mm-hmm. and JT's not going to be a third-line center. He's going to be our winger, which even right now would place him somewhere in the range of, 19th or 20th highest paid winger and as other guys get their contracts as well that's going to knock him down further and further and the cap's going to go up and all that sort of stuff so they'll they'll it feels like they've already classified him as a future winger yes it is a guy who can play different positions and maybe a stopgap down the middle but that's where it gets dicey so even from even if you have the money on bow as long as the bow number is going to be what we're talking here if that's really what the case is i just it's just not going to happen the question though comes down to the big one everybody has if he's getting traded when is he getting traded mm-hmm. and the bigger question who are the principals that are we looking to acquire a player like bull horvat and you know we don't need to say the same things we've been saying which is hey you're more like most likely looking at feb 
you know, closer to the deadline to really maximize a Bo Horvat trade and seeing where, where other teams come. But let's let's do the exercise. Let's look at okay, if we're are there any teams today who are contenders who need Bo Horvat or could use a player like Bo Horvat who would be compelled enough or motivated enough right now in on December sixth or in the month of December to jump the queue to acquire a player like that? Are there any teams? right now that you can point to and say, hey, perhaps this team or that team we should keep an eye on? Well, we're looking today because Colorado Avalanche suddenly uh, news yep. uh, from last night, Nathan McKinnon, uh, could be out. Now, is it out for 10 days, five weeks, two months? Uh, that remains to be seen. But right now the Avalanche do find themselves in a playoff spot and their points percentage is comfortably in as well. So – maybe the urgency isn't there. They have multiple games in hand and they're already in a playoff spot. So mm. you can probably play this out a little bit for if you're a Colorado Avalanche. But if they slide a bit here, because they are missing bodies. It's not just Nathan McKinnon. They got five of their top six out. Yeah, There's a lot of people missing in Colorado. So the question is, is Colorado motivated enough to not only go and acquire somebody, but acquire maybe the biggest piece available as a rental in Bo Horvat? Because if Vancouver's trading Bo today... They want the prize that would be available to them in a month or two. Like they're not going to take less to make the trade now. And, mm-hmm. and I see a lot of people are texting in about what if he gets injured. Of course, that, that's, sure. that, that exists. But it's about maximizing your value. And maybe you're willing to take 95% of the value to make the trade today, but you're not taking under that number. You know, it has to be somewhat close. It has to be ballparked what you're looking at, and at least you get it done with if you feel like you can't sign this player. And again, I don't think the team has made the assessment. They can't sign him. It just looks very, very unlikely at the moment they're going to be able to get that done. So it comes down to what team is willing to do that. I'm, I'm not sold that Colorado, as we sit here today, looks at it and says, hey, here's Bowen Byram. Because what has Vancouver been holding out for this whole time? A D-man. A D-man, or at the very least, a high-level asset. Is it a D-man or a centerman? Blue Like a real blue chipper. Yeah. Like a guy they feel like is either like going to get in your lineup next season and play, or you put in right now and play, and he's going to become a star as time goes on. If, if the Canucks would have got Bowen Byram, I would, they would have made the deal already, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if they could have gotten Bowen Byram, they would have made the deal already. And I mentioned this over the course of the summer as well. If the Canucks, if they knew they could sign Devon Taves, I even think they, they would take Devon Taves, who has another year left on his contract beyond this season. Who, who's a little out of the age range. 27? Uh, 28 or 27? Maybe turn uh, 20. I, I, I think he may be turning 20, already turned 28. But yeah, turn twenty. Uh, turn so he's going to turn twenty nine. Okay, again, so a little out of the age range, but he is such a spectacular talent. Uh, obviously, local product as well, uh, which would be always welcome uh, as, as far as fans getting behind a a local player. So a little bit out of the age range, but again, if you know you can sign him, as you talked about, that's a the type of player that you look at and mm-hmm. say. Man, he would fit in real well here. Now, this was mostly going on back last year to all around the JT Miller stuff, and I kind of heard that you know that would be a guy that they would have interest in Bo because he's a bit younger, you know, and the money and everything. But I look at both those players and I say that would be that would pique Vancouver's interest. But the thing is, with Colorado, why would they trade? They have ambitions. Well, no, and, and Devon Taves <laughs> to them is like I, I think yeah. they view him as a guy we're not going to get rid of. Yeah, because of how good he's been with McCarr and what he means to the team. Bowen Byram, because he's had some injuries, maybe there's 
maybe they say, hey, we can't trade Sam Gerrard. It's kind of like the Canucks situation with Luongo and Schneider, where they're like, we really like we like the Schneider guy better because he's younger and everything, but we can get more. We can we, we can get more for him. So let's make that deal, and we have the other guy who's still pretty good. And I think that's where they make you know fall with Sam Gerrard as well. It's a game of chicken, right? Because. Colorado's going to tell Vancouver and say, hey, we're not giving up these guys. Well, Vancouver's going to look back and say, well, we're not helping you clear up the money for $5 million on Sam Girard. Exactly. And so if you're Colorado, it's like, okay, if, if Vancouver wants this, how do we go about solving this problem of, A, just needing more depth in general? Even with their guys healthy, they yeah. do need a little bit more depth. But how do you start getting pieces in this organization? And where do they start to solve that? If, if, the, if they can't get Bohorvat, where are they going to solve that problem? Do they go to Chicago and go a lesser route for Jonathan Taze? Mm-hmm. Which is going to cost you more, by the way, as far as finances. Because even at Taze's retained salary, it's basically Bo's full salary. Yeah. No, and and that's where I wonder about a team like Colorado. And there's another team, too, we'll talk about a bit later on. Like the teams that may have interest, that may feel the need to jump the queue. There aren't many, but there's another team to keep an eye on as well. Just really quickly, uh, Pierre Lebrun just retweeting right now. Uh, Awaiting official word from the Avalanche, but sounds like McKinnon out of action for approximately four weeks or so. So there you go. That's not insignificant. That's a month. And they're already holding, they're just barely holding on to that second wildcard spot in the West. You're waiting for teams to get desperate. You're waiting for teams to feel the need to go out and do something. That's when things may percolate for Vancouver. Is that a team to keep an eye on? We'll, we'll delve into that and more with Irfan Gaffar from the fourth period coming up next. And we'll get to more of your reaction and we'll break things down when it comes to your Vancouver Canucks as Canucks Central rolls on on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650.